0: I will share my the text for today's sermon within the body of the sermon, so let me offer this word of introduction to the book of Ecclesiastes, which will guide us through our summer preaching and worship series, a series that we're calling The Folly of Conventional Wisdom. The book of Ecclesiastes is one of the oddest in the Bible, along maybe with Esther, which never mentions the name of God, and I love that it's so odd and still in the Bible, That the wisdom of the process that produced our greatest literary treasure with the inspiration of God, that process saw fit to give us some traditional wisdom and the book of Ecclesiastes. Part of the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, it is anything but conventional wisdom. You will not find anything like a prosperity gospel in the book of Ecclesiastes. Love God and all will be well. Not in the book of Ecclesiastes. Go to church and God will bless you. None of it. Give your tithe and God will reward you. Not there. The writer is cynical about life. Meaning? Is there meaning? All seems like vanity to the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes. Work, wisdom, pleasure, it's all vanity. He uses the word 38 times in 12 chapters. Nothing seems to make sense in this world. He's not even sure you can know what is righteous and what is unrighteous. Good and bad, right and wrong, up and down. I told you it's an odd book to be in the Bible. Though traditionally attributed to King Solomon, called the wisest man in the world, scholars trace the language of the book to a much later time period, perhaps 300 years before Jesus, which would have been six centuries after King Solomon. The book's name comes from a Hebrew word, which is translated in Greek, ecclesia, which is the, the word that we use for all of our English words, ecclesiastical, church words, um, So the word from Ecclesiastes is a word from an ecclesiastical leader, a leader of the church. This summer we want to listen for another voice from the church, a more cynical voice, a more skeptical voice. We want to see what unconventional wisdom Ecclesiastes has to impart to us and how it might inform much of the conventional wisdom that is in the air we breathe. If you wanted to summarize the book of Ecclesiastes in one sentence, it might be something that sounds rather unbiblical, like life stinks and then you die, might as well make the best of it. Growing up as a Southern Baptist preacher's kid, I thought eat, drink, and be merry was the motto of the sinners, but it's there in Ecclesiastes chapter and verse. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you will die. Amid a very jaded view of life, this writer still finds God. And he says, joy can be found. Whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might. Life is hard, but there is meaning. There can be joy, and God is in it. The book ends with these words, all has been heard. Fear God and keep the commandments, for that is the whole duty of everyone. So the book ends with a little more conventional sounding word, though many scholars believe this epilogue is actually a later edition, that some later editor appended what sounded what needed to sound more conventional to an unconventional book in order to correct the deep cynicism in the book. Who knows? Like so much good literature, everyone will have to struggle in your own way to make sense of this book for yourself. Next week, we will have a handout prepared for you. It'll be the entire text of the book of Ecclesiastes. Of course, it's in your Bible. You can find it online, but we'll have a handout for you that'll have some notes for our summer uh, uh, preaching series. Um, You might want to commit this summer to reading the book of Ecclesiastes with us, struggling with uh, us uh, through this odd text as part of your devotional practice. Maybe you need to add some unconventional wisdom to your life as together we consider the folly of conventional wisdom. May it be so. Thank you, Wallace Lucas, for bringing us the unconventional wisdom of St. Francis. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. There's nothing conventional about that, but it is the very heart of Christian faith. Unconventional wisdom. Sanford and Son was a staple of television viewing in my grade school years in the early 1970s. Fred Sanford was a junk dealer living in in the Watts neighborhood of Los Angeles. He was known for his bigotry and his cantankerousness, and most episodes involved Fred being carefully schooled by his long-suffering, conscientious peacemaker son, Lamont. In one episode, Lamont has found a briefcase, and he opens it to discover $50,000 in cash which was almost enough to bring on one of those feigned heart attacks of Fred's. Oh, Elizabeth, I'm coming to you, honey. You remember Fred. Always guided by a streak of do the right thing, the episode is spent with Lamont trying to find the rightful owner as he counters his less than ethical father who knew who was the right owner. You know, possession is nine-tenths of the law. To further his case, Fred goes to quote in Scripture, You know the Bible says, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. Amen, Fred. That's what the Bible says. Except it doesn't. Not at all. One of the deep truths of this playful episode is how malleable truth really is. Especially when conveniently wrapped in a misappropriation of sacred Scripture. Even for a culture running headlong into secularism, what the Bible says, or what the Bible supposedly says, still carries a great deal of weight. But just because Fred Sanford believes it does not make it true. Dr. Kristen Cobes Dumais is a history professor at Calvin University who studies the ways that politics, religion, and gender intersect. Her recent book entitled Jesus and John Wayne, How White Evangelicals Corrupted a Faith and Fractured a Nation, has been highly acclaimed, and according to Dr. Dumais, has opened the eyes of countless self-proclaimed evangelical Christians who are flooding her inbox with emails of gratitude. In an article this week in the New York Times, Dr. Dumais says, beliefs have a history I had forgotten how foreign this notion is to many evangelicals in the United States. Beliefs have a history. You know, we believe one thing in one generation and another thing, sometimes completely different, in the next generation. Why do you believe what you believe? Because it's timeless truth? And how did you come to understand that? Did you just read your Bible? Did you read a book about the Bible? Did you listen to your pastors preach about the Bible? Please tell me you listened to your pastors preach about the Bible. The point, folks, is that there is no simple, unfettered, uninterpreted, timeless truth. Now, I was raised to believe that there certainly was timeless truth and that Christians alone knew what that truth was. Any suggestion otherwise would have been heresy, but it is just not that easy. There's not even an unblemished history by which to gauge truth. We all learn from biased perspectives, truth, history, what history, whose version of truth? As I have tried to explain many times, there is no such thing as a literal reading of the Bible. Plenty of people will tell you they just read the Bible literally. There is no such thing as a literal reading of the Bible. Every reading is interpreted. What does something as literal and simple as thou shalt not kill mean? Never ever? Thou shalt not, period. That's what it literally says. That's all it literally says. Thou shalt not. So does thou shalt not kill mean not even to defend yourself in your own home? Thou shalt not. Or does the commandment allow for self-defense? But what about killing in war? And what about capital punishment? Thou shalt not. Now, these are varying degrees, varying understandings of the various literal readings that Christians over the centuries have claimed. Everyone who claims to read literally is interpreting, period. What does thou shalt not kill mean? Simply put, it means whatever you give yourself to believe that it means. And that has a lot to do with influences other than just reading the Bible. Continuing in that New York Times article, Dr. Dume continues, Evangelicals identify as Bible-believing Christians. Evangelical pastors preach biblical values, and evangelical leaders promote traditional values in in the secular public sphere on issues ranging from tax policy to gun control All of these beliefs are packaged and sold as biblical, timeless, and eternal. But historical knowledge has a way of complicating such certainty. History demonstrates that much of what passes for traditional is, in fact, of relatively recent origin. History also reveals how economic, political, and cultural factors influence what people believe to be true at any given time. Political, economic, and cultural factors influence what you believe to be true at any given time. What is truth? What is true? Why do you believe what you believe to be true? This summer, we want to challenge you to think carefully about those questions as we consider some of the so-called wisdom of our culture based on some of the aphorisms that we often hear. An aphorism is is a brief saying or phrase that expresses an opinion or makes a statement of wisdom without the flowery language of a proverb. That word was coined four centuries before Jesus by Hippocrates, but the aphorism Some supposedly timeless truth wrapped in easy language, the aphorism has always been with us. And as it has always done, this form of conventional wisdom still threatens to obscure true wisdom. Throughout the unorthodox biblical book of Ecclesiastes, the writer expresses a deep cynicism about life. Vanity, vanity. All is vanity. Nothing seems to make sense. He says he has considered it all as he has viewed life, and he asks, Is hard work the answer? No. There's some lazy people who make it the easy street. Is life all about pleasure? No. Even the greatest pleasures are fleeting. Is piety the answer? Religion? No. So often the wicked prosper and the churchgoers are the ones who struggle. In today's lesson, he is wrestling with wisdom. What is wisdom? Who has it? Whose wisdom will guide us? From the ninth chapter of Ecclesiastes, this text that will sort of focus as our theme for this summer. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed important to me. Here was a little city with few people in it. A great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. Now there was found in the city a poor, wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered the poor man. So I said, Wisdom is better than might, yet the poor man's wisdom is despised and his wisdom is not heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one bungler destroys much good. The parable is one for our time. The poor wise man saved the city from a powerful king and no one could remember a single word he said. Instead of following truth, the people gave themselves to the easy answers offered by the power brokers of the day. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouting of a ruler, but one bungler destroys much good. The text says there is wisdom But wisdom is just hard to hear among all the peddlers selling their wares. The glitters of gold, the attractions of fame, the influence of power, the comforts of easy religion and simple answers. Our culture is no different than any culture, except that great success demands even greater scrutiny. To whom much is given, much more will be demanded. Even though the poor man was acknowledged as the wise one, his voice did not outweigh the shouting of power among fools." Ouch. This ancient sage is speaking to us. I have reminded you many times from this pulpit that Christians are supposed to be different. We are supposed to have values based on biblical wisdom as we understand it, as we interpret it through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. He is our guide. Our ethics are supposed to be based on scriptural wisdom, on biblical wisdom, on the life of Jesus, not on a cultural value system of right and wrong. Our economics should not be gauged by the beloved market the wisdom of wall street our priorities should not be set by the particular convictions of any political party our faith in the future should not rest on the security offered by military strength our values are supposed to be different supposed to be guided by a different kind of wisdom altogether a different wisdom from the wisdom that we hear in the culture around us all the time. But wisdom is hard to hear. Many people simply cannot disentangle the convictions of faith from the influences of culture, which is in the air we breathe. We hear this conventional wisdom every day on the street, in the neighborhood, through the airwaves. We are bombarded by so-called truth at every turn. Walt Whitman once suggested, re-examine all you have been told. Dismiss what insults your soul. But it's even harder than that. Because what liberals hear on MSNBC sounds like gospel truth to them. And for conservatives, Fox and Friends might as well be Jesus and the disciples. You know what I mean? You hear truth where you seek truth especially in this frightening age of dangerous polarization, seldom does what we have been told insult us. Instead, it sounds like truth. We are immersed in the convenient truths that create the confirmation bias we all love, a bias that lets us revel in our own rightness and the always wrongness of our enemies. We will not survive as a nation, folks. We will not survive as a nation or as individuals, certainly not with our souls intact, living on the conventional wisdom that sees all the world through a lens of divisions and hierarchy, race and finance and militarism and easy religion. These are the props of conventional wisdom, and Scripture says it is all folly, foolishness, Jesus invites us to a different way, a more excellent way, the Apostle Paul calls it. This summer, we are inviting you to think again, to examine all you have been told and let an unconventional wisdom guard your soul that we might have the courage to be insulted by the so-called truths of our uniquely American culture and to give ourselves to a different wisdom altogether. Do we have the courage to think again? May it be so.